Welcome to another episode of the Individuation Podcast. I am Dr. Lahab Al Samurai, and I have three guests today. Um, I have Sarah Wartman, she's going to introduce herself. Uh, Jane Litzy is going to introduce herself, but she's introduced herself before. She has been um, on this pod before. And Shayna is a returner on this pod. We'd like to make her more permanent on this pod. Um, today we are talking about in the time of corona and conflict and today what I would uh, like to start with is talk about what transitions look like in life and for us and our three um, guests are going to talk about uh, transitions today. So, um, Ms. Sarah Wartman, why don't you, Mrs., why don't you introduce yourself? Uh, to our listeners. Evie <laughs> just introduced me. My name is Sarah Wortman. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> and my name is Jane Litzy. Um, I'm an naturopathic medical student. I still am, and I'm still graduating in June, unless Corona does something to take that away. Um, and I'm Shana Keller, also a final year naturopathic medical student, graduating in June. So today we are going to start to talk about what it looks like uh, living in um, isolation or um, being isolated from others, both uh, physically and um, emotionally. Um, it's hard to express emotion over, over video when you have so many things you would like to say and you don't want the other person to be upset by um, all the feelings that you are having. So, um, Shana, do you have any thoughts today? What are your thoughts today? Those were my thoughts. So, in regards to transition, um, when Corona changed the way in shelter in place and stay at home orders happened back in March, early March now. So gosh, like six, seven weeks ago, um, there was a lot of uncertainty. And in the beginning, I was so anxious and frantic. I was just like, wow, am I going to be able to graduate? Am I going to be able to become a doctor? I'm so close. I'm literally days, weeks away from getting my academic doctoral degree. Is this going to happen now? And for me, I'm not the type of person that freezes. Some people freeze when they're overcome by these emotions and intense, like, I don't know what to do. For me, I'm a frantic information gathering type person. I must do. I'm a doer. And I will do whatever it takes. And so much of what I did was research, trying to understand and educate myself. And how can I be of support to my community and my friends and my family best as I could um, and I definitely was having some pretty serious emotion. And I would say in the beginning, I was not thinking logically because I was scared. I did not know. The blood supply to my frontal cortex, which is our logical thinking brain, was not working. I was in survival mode. And for me, survival mode looks like I'm do, do, do. Go, go, go. Yeah, I can relate to that. Um, I think I'm more of the... Uh, maybe more of a shutdown type of person when I get anxious. Um, I think there's the potential right now for information overload mm -hmm. or even consuming information that never 
quite gets you the answer you need to feel a sense of certainty or calm. Um, yeah, I, I think that's the challenge right now is, is can we in the midst of external uncertainty find internal calm? Um, yeah, that I think that's the challenge right now that on some level, I don't know that we're knowing or are going to find out, like, what's going to happen. Like, there isn't clarity, and I'm not sure it's going to come immediately, and it, it could take a number of, of months or even up to, like, a year or two. Um, and I think in that state, if we don't cultivate a sense of internal calm or internal clarity or a sense of peace, um, I think it it's going to overwhelm going to overwhelm us. Um, so I think the challenge right now is even though our world is unstable externally, how can we find internal stability? Well, I'm, I'm, I have two transitions that I'm thinking about right now that are being, in my view, exacerbated by this time of shelter. One, while you all are at the beginning of your careers, I'm getting toward the end of mine. I'm not at the end of mine yet, but I, I can see it down. I can see the end of that mm -hmm. path much more so than I've been able to see it before. And thinking about how I transition there and what my life looks like and how what the process is to get there has been something I've been thinking a lot about for the last year. Mm -hmm. The other transition is I lost a sister this year. Mm. And I've gone from being one of four siblings living to one of three siblings living. And thinking about how my life is different in that context mm. is challenging for me. And so what the what I'm noticing about how this period of confinement is affecting that is these were issues I was dealing with before confinement mm -hmm. but what confinement has done is slow everything down mm -hmm. we all live I know I have lived a very hectic life that's about go 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 next thing next thing next thing next thing next thing next thing without really taking time to process the transitions I'm going through and what this the blessing and the curse to me of confinement is it creates that space to think about where am I in the trajectory of no longer but not yet, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And it's a very intellectually challenging time. It's a very emotionally challenging time. And it's it can be hard sometimes to unpack at this moment in time when I'm having a feeling or I'm getting stuck, mm -hmm. which of those things is at work? Hmm. Yeah. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah, I think when the, it's like when the external world gets quiet, like I, I think we've all had a strange experience of having the external reality somewhat shut off. And I think what it does is it illuminates our internal realities. So, um, yeah, I think any unfelt emotions or unprocessed feelings or anything that has been put in the background of I'll deal with this later or life was so busy that there almost wasn't space to deal with those things. 
it's almost like, yeah, there's now this opportunity and there's no ability almost to quiet with distraction or quiet with, I've got to go to work or I've got to rush, rush, rush. It's, it's like there's nowhere to turn but internally on some level. Um, and I think that can be both very challenging and, and very rewarding. If I think it's an opportunity to get very intimate with ourselves and, um, yeah, have a sense of, of deep meaning in, in the things that we've gone through and hold space for ourselves as we kind of uncover how that felt and, yeah, what we want to do going forward. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting to be in relationship during this time because the truth is everybody is struggling, yeah, right? It's true. And being someone who's been married a long time and been in family a long time, I've learned that you can't both be falling apart at the same time. It just doesn't work. You, mm-hmm. on some level, very unconsciously, have to make space for the other person to have their moment. Mm-hmm. And when you're both having your moment at the same time, it gets complicated, yeah. right? And you have to learn how to get what you need from the people who are close to you when they can give it, mm-hmm. and get what you need from somebody else when they can't. Mm-hmm. And I think that's also an interesting um, thing that you wrestle with in the liminal space, when everybody's in the middle space at the same time. Totally. And everybody's frustrated all at the same time. Yeah. And it's nice to be able to give the gift of letting somebody else fall apart I think totally. and trust that that person's having a moment that they will come out of mm-hmm. not think of it as the state that they're in for the rest of their life or that they're being inappropriate or that they shouldn't you know it's a really good time not to should on yourself I mm-hmm. think yeah and having these hard emotions that Sarah and Jane are talking about that we're having a conversation about is um, these emotions these internal feelings that we've pushed aside for the rest of our day jobs and you know making space for other people and now we have a little more time for ourselves it's time to go through this muck and it's okay to have these feelings and like Sarah said we shouldn't be shitting should we we should allow ourselves to experience and feel what we need to feel to process Mm -hmm. and move through so on the other side remember this these feelings are not forever even if it may seem like it and it makes sense, you know, in the moment it's the hardest thing you're going to do is to feel those feelings of loss or remorse or guilt or thinking about and what it, whatever it might be for you because everybody's experiencing something different right now. Similar but different. Um, knowing that on the other side you're going to come out better and stronger and smarter and wiser for having gone through um, one thing I find really uh, soothing when I'm having a hard time because I tend to be a little more stoic in my emotional presentation and I need something to kind of push me over the edge and I don't always want to watch a sad movie is I will read poetry. Mm-hmm. Poetry I find so much solace in. I'm a huge fan of Rumi. He has some pretty wise, wise stuff that just is like to the point. It's just like boom. And it's just a lot to think about. And what's the other guy? R- um, Rilke? Rainer Maria Rilke. Yes. Yeah, I like yeah. Rilke too. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. Yeah. 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 When I'm also wanting to remind myself and acknowledge that transitional periods are, by their nature, challenging. Mm-hmm. Because everything that's been on autopilot for a while, right, mm-hmm. 
my routines, my commute, what I eat, where I go, how I entertain myself, all those things are adjusted. Totally. And so nothing is, it requires so much more intellectual and emotional energy mm. to get through the day and to come up with the new normal. For example, figuring out how and where I'm going to work at home, yeah. right, took me a couple of weeks, right? Mm -hmm. Having a space to go to that's separate from the space that for me has always been the place to rest, not the place to work, mm. right? And I have a partner who has worked at home all the time and recognizing that I'm in that person's space and that's a challenge for that person. So recognizing where you're bumping into each other and leaving space mm. to, to try to do that as in as frictionless a way as possible, mm -hmm. right? Totally. Which isn't always possible. Friction comes. <laughs> I like even the, the metaphor of, um, like when I think of transitions, I think of, of um, the seasons. And even like the transition from winter to spring, which is kind of what we're going through right now, um, is almost like the endings of the previous sum summer that transitioned into winter. Like it's a series of death basically of, of plants died and and fell to the ground and like we're broken down and I think that's almost the process of going through like feeling our feelings and sitting with the, like the discomfort and the stuff that went on process during the summer and um, I think the emergence then of spring is almost the rebirth of um, either wisdom that is gained or insight that is gleaned or a new understanding of self that is gained um, that there's riches to be gained in, I think, the process of sitting with those hardships and tough places is, I think, if you sit long enough, a door inevitably opens um, that ushers in a new way of being or a new way of seeing, um, that if you hadn't gone through it, it never would have um, become visible. So I think there's opportunity in the chaos. Mm. And with that, if we don't deal with our shit and it piles up under the rug for months, weeks, months, years, decades, it's going to be so much harder to go through a transition and be experiencing because it's like everything that's been unprocessed for years and decades is finally coming to forefront and that process of, of death and, re and death and like understanding and learning of the self and then this rebirth of spring which we're seeing flowers and um, leaves come out and all the gardens are coming back to life and if we just covered everything up we may not be experiencing that same rebirth it's just this heavy weight that's sitting on us and so I do find it to be incredibly valuable to do, to try, to try. And I, 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 I'm not the person that just lets everything just come one at a time. Like sometimes it does need to stack up and the, the tower needs to tip over before things happen. Uh, definitely not saying that, but I do find it easier. It's like one step at a Which time. Which tower is that, Jim? That just tipped over. Just joking. The tower of emotional psychic weight <laughs> <laughs> that gets too heavy, like the leaning tower of Pisa. It's like one step at a time is much easier to deal with than 
decades of shenanigans, <laughs> which which we can see. And like this is why I, I think um, that addiction and alcoholism becomes prevalent is because there's all these emotions and experiences that are left unprocessed. And that is a much easier, having gone through my own journey, to just like take the drugs, drink the alcohol. And there's nothing wrong with it either. We've, we've got to cope in some way. Well, everything in moderation, including moderation. Exactly. Right? <laughs> and, and I've been sort of thinking, and the spring is a really interesting analogy because as I've been watching the weather, you know, you have days where it starts to get warmer and you feel like it's about to be summer, and then you have one of these cold, wet days. And you're like, oh! And it's reminding me, I used to, back when I lived in another city, I went used to barn dance, to go to barn dances a lot. Mm. And there's a kind of a barn dance called a reel, where you have a partner and you go, you move down a line. Mm. And But there are things you do in the middle, around the line. And it was reminding me about how progress is, isn't a straight path. It's totally. some sideways steps, some back steps, some circle Oof. arounds before you can go forward again mm -hmm. sometimes you can do that by yourself sometimes you need another person to help you get there mm. and to just um, when I'm on my better days mm. it's fascinating to me how um, uh, unpredictable and occasionally random the process of transition scenes mm. Totally. And sometimes you can only see it. Sometimes I find I can only see the successes of it in the rearview mirror. It's hard to see it when I'm going through it. Totally. Yeah. It's easier to see it when I'm at the end of it. And I'm not somebody who's emotionally facile. I'm intellectually facile. And so I have a much harder time articulating, feeling and articulating mm. what I'm going through than some. It takes me a lot longer yeah. than some people. I think something that I was reminded of from actually new acquaintance the last few days was um, like so much of how we go about living is in like language and thought realm. Um, it's like a very head centric place and being reminded that there's another way of proceeding and that's the felt sense. Um, where I think it's easy to get stuck trying to like figure it out in your mind. But a, a practice that I would encourage even just, yeah, experimenting with is for 15 minutes, um, engage with sitting or lying down and just feeling of almost having it be this curiosity of, of going through your body and allowing um, yourself to feel different places. Um, I, I think the body speaks in a language of sensation and movement and our mind likes to categorize and reduce in the form of language. Um, so I think a lot of the processing isn't on a language level, it's on a deeper felt sense level. So what we're thinking is, I think Jane is putting together, is that energy triggers the emotion, and the emotion creates the feeling, and then the feeling thus turns into a thought. But I think, yeah, exactly. And I think if we start by trying to figure out the thought, it's so far removed from the original place that stimulated the thought that you're not gonna figure it out in that place. 
Um, so almost pausing and feeling inside of the body of um, even asking the question like like what needs to be felt or what what is here that I need to touch into. Um, just that simple intention and invitation. I think often the body like loves that question and will illuminate or offer like what is there for you to feel um, that can provide insight and deeper um, meaning that wouldn't be gleaned if we just stayed with the thought process. So I think what Jane is describing in the process is that while laying still, what you are doing is you're, you're connecting your psyche to your body and you're communicating back and forth internally about how are you doing? Mm -hmm. Are my legs okay? How are they feeling? How are my knees? Are my toes feeling relaxed? Am I wearing the right shoes? Is my back okay? Or am I sleeping or sitting in a way that's hurting it? So basically, in basic terms, it's starting a conversation, an internal dialogue with yourself. But it's that mode of, Jane, you were describing it, of relaxation, of laying there with yourself consciously and then letting the unconscious process of connecting to your body take place. Well, and I think it's even a realm of, like, that is uncertainty. That is, like, the dark um, unknown is, like, we don't know, I think, what we're going to encounter when we go into a feeling state. Um, and I think the mind wants to control and to have a sense of, I run this, that I think in the process of allowing or surrendering or letting go into sensation, there's this sticking point of, what am I going to un uncover that's going to be maybe too much or too much feeling or um, overwhelming? Um, but I, I think that's just the tip of the iceberg that if, if you stay with the process, um, it's not a place to be feared, but a place to uncover a lot of meaningful insights. And a lot of that has to do with the, using meditation to get to that space where the meditation is basically where you sit and just listen to your own breathing. You don't have to do anything else. Just sit and listen to your own breathing. Close your eyes just to keep the sensory inputs out. But just sit and listen to your breathing. It doesn't matter what's going on outside. It's the simplest thing. Because once you focus on your breathing, you're not going to hear anything else. If you're focused on your breathing, you can't hear anything else. And that focus will change your body rhythms. It will calm you. I also think an important part of meditation is acknowledging that I'm going to have some feelings and some mm -hmm. thoughts that maybe in my normal life I wouldn't be okay with and to let them pass through me without judgment. Don't totally. get stuck on them. Don't worry about them don't judge them just let them go by like you let the scenery go by when you're in a train or in a car or in a plane mm -hmm. just not get too caught up in them i think for me also during this time looking for creating opportunities to experience gratitude has been very mm -hmm. important for sure because it's easy to get 
in my life, it's easy for me to get in a downward spiral of thinking about everything that's wrong totally. and reminding myself to recognize that the good things about this mm. has a balancing effect for me. And I think something else to bounce off of Sarah is when you are having judgments about that thing you're thinking about or, man, I'm just supposed to be listening to my breath and oh, I can't do it, notice Notice the attitude, notice the internal dialogue and the self-judgment that's being had during that. And it's, it's okay. That happens. You know, you don't become a medita- meditator or master the first time you try something. Maybe not even the 200th time you try something and just be okay with that. And going back to Jane's um, body, uh, body-mind connection, just like being with your body, you may have areas that talk to you. Also notice the areas that aren't speaking to you and what do they feel like. That's important just in general. It's like, okay, man, my knee is really killing me. Oh, what does my other knee feel like? Oh, it doesn't have that. And maybe it even feels like this lighter buoyancy. Um, one, one meditator and is Joe Dispenza that I really like. And he says where your energy goes, where your mind goes, your energy goes. Mm. And so if you're focused on that bad knee, that knee that hurts, the knee that hurts, the knee that hurts, your knee's definitely going to hurt. Not saying your knee doesn't hurt, but you thinking about your knee hurting is definitely not making your knee feel better. And it's okay if your knee's hurting and you need to think about your knee hurting. There's thinking about and there's (laughs) obsessing about. Exactly. Mm. Exactly. And that's that spiraling that Sarah talks about. And I call that stacking for myself. And when one thing tips the iceberg, I'm just like, yep, and this is fucked. And the whole world and this and this and this. And then my partner's like, hold on a second. Come, come back. Come into the room. Stand on your feet. You're here. (laughs) I think, too, a thing to remember is like that, um, like bias towards noticing what, what is wrong is actually like an evolutionary, um, process of it. If you can think about, um, like in our, in our ancestry, it was more important to notice a potential threat than to notice what was going right. Um, that if there was, you know, uh, tiger on the outskirts that was like beginning to encroach in and was threatening you or um your brain wanted to notice that more than you know something else that was positive because your life depended on it so Mm -hmm. i think we have a cognitive bias towards noticing what is wrong Mm -hmm. and so if we don't develop practices to almost counteract that negativity bias we're going to be caught in um, where we came from, dictating our brain patterns, which are inherently going to be negative. I'm curious, as you are going through transitions, you're all coming out of being students and starting your careers, what are the milestones for you? And are you honoring them? Are you noticing them? Are you aware of them? How are you, what's helping you navigate the transition because there are some rites and rituals that are happening in this context for you all too right right I mean I I I think it's something I would like to be more intentional about Um, I think it's really easy to just be going through the motions and not pause and look at where we've come from Mm -hmm. and almost yeah the things we've overcome the 
hardships that we've navigated through, um, almost the synchronicities of like how we arrived at this place of becoming naturopathic doctors. Like even, it's a rare, rare, small subset of society that is a naturopathic doctor. Um, and I think we could both sit with that of um, almost the, the things that brought us to this place in time um, and reflect on, yeah, just pausing for a moment and seeing how in a month or two we're gonna be transitioning into being a doctor. And I know for a lot of the class of 2020, <laughs> many of us are not getting a graduation ceremony Totally. Um, we're still not sure what our school is doing, although it's not going to be a live in-person big graduation like it is every year, which honestly I'm okay with. But a virtual graduation is just, there's going to be technical difficulties <laughs> that I'm just not. So where is the space that's going to be honoring the fact that we're graduating and we spent the last four or five years of our life post, like in, in graduate school, studying and booking and thousands of hours of suffering <laughs> I used to stay studying is studying studying yeah, I remember I, I finished my graduate degree a long time ago but one of the things I remember about that last six months or year is that I was having all these feelings of being irritated and disappointed <laughs> and frustrated by the people in my experience mm. who I was judging to be not as smart as I had thought they were when I started. And in retrospect, what I think about that is mm -hmm. that's where I was supposed to get to. I mm -hmm. was supposed to get to the point where these people who started as my teachers ended up as my peers, some of whom were still smarter, better, and more um, capable than me, and some of whom were not. <laughs> and being able to... Because in retrospect, I can, and it was a frustrating time for me, let me tell you. In retrospect, I can thank them <laughs> for getting me to the point where I could be disappointed in them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I am not a parent, but I have to imagine that that's something parents go through, too. Totally. As like, their kids become adults. Like teenager. So I was just hearing you, Sarah, you said smarter and better. So <laughs> smarter, I could, uh, I don't know how that works. But... Better, I know, does not work. So, there's nobody who's better than anybody else. We are all equal in that way. We can be more intelligent than each other, but that's only a limited form of consciousness that we can see something that other people cannot see. But they can see things that we cannot see. They have experiences and life degrees that we have not seen. So sometimes our um, intellectual discussion um, takes us away from realizing that the intellect is proceeding and growing whether it is in graduate school or it's not in graduate school. So um, for ourselves and for our uh, listeners, we want to say that life is our biggest teacher and we need to continually look on every lesson we learn in life. The coronavirus, lesson. Mm. Isolation, lesson. Being alone, lesson. These all make us better people in the end. Mm. I think as Shana was saying earlier about how we tend to rack up years and years of years of crap under our carpets and now they're all coming out. 
You made a really, really good point because um, it's taken me a long time to understand that notion that people aren't better. And I was very intellectually um, competitive when I was young. Mm. And I hung a lot of my self-esteem on mm. how smart I was relative to how smart other people were. Mm. And how capable I was relative to how capable other people were. Mm. And I think, I, I know people in my circle of acquaintances now who are kind of at that place where they don't truly and completely trust their own capability, their own wisdom, their own mm. abilities, mm. honor their own gifts and understand that their gifts are different from, not better or worse than anybody else's. And there's this thing I say to other people all the time now that I would, in, if I could go back and talk to my 20-something-year-old self, I would say to me, which is, when you figure out how remarkable you are there will be no stopping you mm. but at some point you have to claim your gifts and at some mm. point you have mm. to claim your unique uh, ability to contribute mm. whatever there is to this life mm. that we're living and that takes a while for some people some people some of us get there some of us never get there mm. some of us are there this month and next month we're going to be back on the I don't know what the hell I'm doing train <laughs> And it's just, it's just a, but I think that's a really good point to, to let go of better mm-hmm. is a very important part of maturing. So we, we all, I think what Sarah's talking about, and she brings up a really good point, we, we're all looking for that voice that embodies us and embodies everything that we need to say. And I think that voice is always there. We just need to let it out. Mm. And sometimes the hardest part is letting it out trusting that things are going to be okay if we let it out that things are not going to collapse that the world is not going to end Shannon what do you think of letting out that (laughs) voice I have definitely struggled with this Um, and in the past few weeks I have I have talked to people I haven't talked to in many years and said what I needed to say that I was scared to say and they were just like, yeah, yeah, that's true. Yep, you're right. And yeah, it, it does take two to tango. And it was not the perspective. It was not what I was expecting to happen. And so we, I built up this story in my head, the story I told myself. And the story was, if I say what I need to say, I'm going to hurt that person or they're going to be offended or, 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 and then they weren't. And then it was okay, actually. And in fact, People say, well, I I actually like this, like, fiery, you say what you need to say, and, like, you know, you do it in kind of a comical manner, and then you're on to the next thing, and, you know, it, it is okay for me to be myself, and it's okay for you to be yourself, and, and like, uh, Dr. Al Samurai and Sarah were saying, like, uh, we need to be ourselves, and accept our own gifts as we have them, and, you know, a quote that's resonated with me since I was young is a quote by Dr. Seuss, and it's, um, be who, you, be who you are and say what you feel because those who mind don't matter and those who matter don't mind. And that is definitely true. And, uh, you know, think about, think about the people whose opinion matter to you. Yeah, it's a difficult thing, mm-hmm. giving up, needing to be liked. Mm-hmm. And it starts with censoring ourselves so that people will like us. And then realizing that we can't because we're cutting off. 
because we don't like ourselves anymore. Mm. And then getting into this point of speaking your truth in an almost bullying way, mm-hmm. right? Totally. Like, I dare you not to like me, you jackass, right? <laughs> and then getting to the point where you can accept that you are who you are and other people are who they are without needing to make them feel a way or another about you mm-hmm. is probably... Um, that's the I think that's the place that yeah. ultimately you want to get to where you just it's like mm-hmm. you're fine how you are I'm fine how I am we might be in relationship well we might not be in relationship well and either way is okay but that's and yeah. since it's a lot of women here on this thing <laughs> I think that's an especially challenging thing for women mm-hmm. because so much of the way we navigate life in this world mm has to be about being liked and being polite and being um, respectful of the male energy in the room mm-hmm. and getting to the point where you can be toe-to-toe with that male energy without threatening that male energy is difficult sometimes because of you and sometimes because of me and sometimes because the male I'm toe-to-toe with. Mm-hmm. And so I think giving up the need to be liked for women is especially a challenge. Mm-hmm. And taking the opportunity to be angry when mm. it's appropriate is for women, I think, also a challenge. It's okay for us to be sad. Mm-hmm. It's not okay for us to be angry. Mm-hmm. It's okay for men to be angry. It's not always okay for men to be sad, okay. at least in this culture at this moment in time. Yep. And I think what happens is that they teach you not to say what you need to say for for people for people of all looks but when you feel like somebody's telling you repeatedly not to say what you feel or not to say how you feel or not to do what you want to do or not to mm-hmm. think what you want to think or not to look the way you want to look and those are the things that um, block our energy, they destroy our lives, and it's been especially hard. I think um, I like this conversation about uh, what it is to be female and to be liked, mm. um, because I think it's a really important conversation. Being liked does not mean I want to sleep with you or I want to have sex with you. Being liked means that uh, I want to be as you. Mm-hmm. Mm. Equal. Treated equally. Yeah. Uh-huh. What's funny, I, so I have a really, I have a deep breath. Again, it's probably not that unique, but I have what feels like a unique experience of this to me. I grew up in a family of all girls, and mm. somebody had to be my father's son, and I got picked. Mm. And so, growing oh, up yeah. in the, as the women's movement was coming of age, and in the 70s and 80s, as women were entering workforce and careers, there are linguistic moves that women make often in conversation mm-hmm. that are self-limiting. Like we're taught to say things like, "Well, I don't know if this makes any sense," but mm-hmm. or I'm not really sure. I this do is that such a all idea. the time. <laughs> and the other thing we're taught is to make a statement as if it's a question. Totally. Right. Questioning ourself. Well, just to to not declare exactly to ask. I grew up not using those linguistic moves. 
And it created incredible conflict for me wow. in my career because I was behaving very masculine, mm. not mm. the feminine way people yeah. expected me to behave. And I, it took me a long time to figure out a way to be inviting and inclusive mm. in my linguistic moves without being self-deprecating mm. and self-limiting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I would go to people, you know, coaches, therapists, whatever, like, you know, I'm having this problem. And they, they would say to me, yeah, you have this problem. And honestly, I don't want to teach you not to do this because this is the thing we in the women's movement are trying to teach everybody to be able to do. Mm-hmm. And you're doing it already, but you're getting backlash for it. So it's, it was a moment of conflict for the women who were trying to advise me. Right. Do I, how do I help you? in ways that are going to let you live in the world you happen to live in at this moment in time. Mm. Yeah. But still honor who you are. And mm. I'm grateful to see that progress has been made on that front now. Mm. So that hopefully women of your generation will have a f- substantially easier time navigating through the yeah. career world than those of us who were sort of the, you know... The beginning... The beginning of a dramatic movement of women into the workforce. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, I grew up with two older brothers, and I grew up playing sports on all boys sports teams. Um, Even early on, I was like very passionate about winning. (laughs) <laughs> and when we would lose, I would burst into tears. And I think I, I learned early on that boys, or I perceived that I, I couldn't cry if I was going to be respected by boys. Um, so I think almost like emotional suppression for me started around that time of feeling like if I want to belong to this group, I have to hide an aspect of myself. Um, yeah, and even a lot of my, I feel like, experiences after my childhood were, like, very scientific mind, like, very rational, logical thoughts, like, very calculated and cutting and um, very masculine in qualities. Um, and it wasn't until I developed a thyroid condition that I felt like there was this reckoning of acknowledging almost parts of myself that hadn't been expressed um, or invited to be part of my personality and what I shared with the world. Um, So yeah, I I think we have lots of dynamics and voices that are contained within us that long to be expressed in the world. Um, And I think I'm still cultivating an openness to have um, each of those voices have expression in the world instead of saying this is the acceptable ones that are going to be liked and um, revered and these are the weak, unacceptable, potentially vulnerable aspects that are going to be criticized or discounted or seen as lesser. 
I uh, grew up in a single parent home and I totally was the man of the house. The sink broke, go get the wrench in the bucket, fix the sink. Yeah, I had a younger brother, but um, he's on the spectrum and so he just wasn't as cognizant. Um, not that he couldn't, it just, it was a little bit easier for me to just kind of take control of the situation and do what needed to be done um, in a cleaner manner, <laughs> I might add. Um, so I, I've definitely grown up a little more with the masculine energy, rough and tough, rub some dirt in it, um, running around outside, um, playing with the boys as well. And I think where I've run into issues is being more friendly with, with um, boys and men is because of that friendliness and you know with Dr. El Samurai mentioning it does not mean that we want to have sex with you we just mm -hmm. like you I respect them why does that mean that I want to have sex with you it doesn't actually and and I've actually come to this conclusion in the last maybe five ten years um, as I've become uh, an adult that I don't know if straight men can be friends with straight women without that expectation and I really would like that to change because I feel like there's a special relationship that um, uh, heterosexual women and heterosexual men have with each other without having that sexual interaction because it allows the man to feel more able to have their emotions that they you know, have been societally told, and eh, it's not okay for you to feel sad or have emotions. And I can tell you how many late night conversations I had soothing um, male friends of mine and you know them allowing me to be on my soapbox and be a little more aggressive and they were able to hold and contain that where some of my girlfriends were just a little more taken back by it not that they weren't able to handle it it's just I got told oh you're just so angry and why do you have to be so aggressive and like you're just so abrasive that's a big word and I've I I like own that word I can be abrasive you know what I'll be abrasive when I want to be abrasive and there's a time and a place for it and I've learned how to like Move, use that as like a power move but again carefully it's all about finesse and working with these energies that we each carry um, within ourselves that's different you know I don't know if you guys are picking up on the, the way that we're talking here but we all have a different way of carrying ourselves and how we've mm -hmm. uh, gone through these challenging experiences in workplaces and with friends and family and we had a different way through it Mm -hmm. And maybe we'll get to talk about the archetypes on this at some point, but we have three of, three of the four Jungian archetypes sitting here. Well, I, don't think, I don't think the problem between men and women, in heterosexual men and women, or homosexual men and men, or homosexual women and women, mm -hmm. is, uh, yes, that kind of sexual energy gets in the way. Mm -hmm. I think you're fine if somebody says, well, I have these... I have this interest in you, and the other person says, I'm flattered, but I don't, and then there's respect, and then you can right. work. Mm. It only becomes a problem if one person can't do that. The respect. Or mm -hmm. tries to push or force what they want or need on the other person. Mm -hmm. I think that's where it starts to get problematic. Right. And um, I don't know why what you were just saying made me think this, but I'm going to say it because it's in my head. <laughs> When I was younger, this thing that used to drive me crazy, that still occasionally does today, <laughs> is if I'm randomly sitting at some outdoor cafeteria reading or having a cup of coffee or just thinking or whatever, and some male person walks behind me and says, Smile! Ooh. What's your reaction to, Smile! I want to punch you. 
<laughs> you smile more, motherfucker. <laughs> well, most recently this happened to me when I had just lost my sister and I was mourning mm. and the person walked by me and my, I didn't say anything, but the response I wanted to say to that person was, I don't feel like it today and that's fine. Mm. Why is my emotional state any of your business? Yeah. Right? Right. Um, and I, I don't, it's funny how I see that as, um, I don't see that as an invitation to joy. I see that as a, an admonition. Yeah. Do you have that or do you see that differently than I do? I've never had that experience. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I don't think I would like it. Um, and also seeing it as like it's not, for whatever reason they're deciding that is what they need to say it's not about you like it's like a really interesting like what was their internal process where they felt mm. the need to be like she should be smiling today like that seems unnecessary <laughs> no I think that there's a lot of social expectations mm. and the interpretations True. of those social expectations become that if women need to behave in a certain way then men need to behave in this mm. other way and thus the conflict keeps arising over and over again mm. because we are setting up expectations for what it means to be female or woman in mm. society, what it totally. means to be male. The reason this is like um, an interesting subject for me because I am always foreign in this society. No matter what I do or how I do it or how I look or what I do, I'm always foreign. I'm always... Uh, kind of the odd duckling in the group. So it's interesting to hear because it sounds like in a lot of ways um, as a foreigner in this society I am uh, subjugated to some of um, similar ways of dismissal or um, control or contradiction that you are lesser than your counterpart and therefore they go first and you go second. Mm. Whether that is never spoken unless somebody's being um, fascistic, but it's, there's an undertone to it, and I think that's what happens with what Sarah was talking about. There's an expectation that women need to be a certain mm. way. My experience when I went to Amsterdam, my sense of the feminine energy was it was free to be itself. Mm, wow. There was no conflict because the feminine energy was not trying to be uh, fixed or controlled or um, um, plastic surgery is required for it. That it just exists as an energy, as a life force. Well, we have a little bit of time left. Should we wrap up? Move back into, should we transition out? <laughs> well, this is the Individuation Podcast, so why don't we talk about the things that we individuated on this cast, which is, I think Jane brought up the, um, you know, kind of taking time to talk to body and ask questions of body and how body um, feels. Mm. I think Sheila talked about how it was to um, embody your voice and show your your power. Mm. 
and Sarah, um, I loved how she brought the past and the present kind of together through experience and uh, reflection of what it was to be and what it is to be. And as we all stand in different points in time, we stand on the threshold uh, as a group. So whether we're at the beginning or the end of our careers, we are all in this together. Whether um, we are sitting at home, standing outside, or just enjoying uh, today's misty rain, mm -hmm. we are in this together. I'd like to thank my guests, um, Jane Litzy. Thank you, Jane. Would you like to say anything? I don't think so. It was a good, good talk today. Um, thank you, Shana. Shana, would you like to say something? It's okay to be yourself. Sarah, <laughs> would you like to say something? Just enjoyed the conversation. Thank you all. Thank you very much. This has been another broadcast of the Individuation Podcast by the Institute for Conflict. We'd love to hear uh, from you. Please um, send us an email or a note or uh, a like. We always appreciate it. at the Institute of Conflict greatly appreciate all of you listeners. Please share the podcast with your friends and spread the word. If you would like to help expand our community, like us on Facebook and Instagram and give us a five-star review on iTunes. I'm Sonia Mahmood and you've just listened to the Institute of Conflict Individuation Podcast. We'll be back soon.